Welcome to Winning Slowly, a podcast about culture, technology, religion, ethics, and art. I'm Chris Kreitcho. And I'm Stephen Caradini. And today we're going to talk about something very sad. Very sad. A couple days ago, the news came out that social media backbone app.net, which we've mentioned on the service before, had laid off all its employees and was going into basically sustenance mode. So we will be talking about business models again this week, following up on a conversation we had a few episodes ago. But first, a little follow-up from a few weeks ago. Yeah, so an astute listener, um, when we were talking about fixed costs versus marginal costs in um, episode 0.10, pointed out that we were essentially saying that fixed costs and marginal costs were the same thing, which is not exactly true. Um, we were trying to make a distinction between fixed costs and marginal costs, but both of them were essentially zero in the conversation that we were having. So they end up being the same thing, even though they are different. So just wanted to point out that we do know the difference between fixed costs and marginal costs, um, but for that particular conversation, they were both zero. So thanks for keeping us uh, accountable to the things we say. We appreciate it. It's nice to know you're out there listening to us. Totally. Unfortunately, what we're talking about today is a service that had some fixed costs that ended up being a little too high, apparently. Unfortunately, yes. So So app.net, for those of you who may not know, was a social media network slash backbone Slash, well, here's part of the problem, how to describe it. Hmm. We'll get to that in a little bit. It was an environment. It, it was an environment. That is a good word for it. It launched back in mid to late 2012 off of a Kickstarter, actually, or um... crowdfunding. It wasn't Kickstarter itself, but it was crowdfunded. And the idea was, hey, let's build a service that users pay to use rather than being pure free like the Twitters and Instagrams of the world. But the user gets a bargain out of this. One, the user always owns all of her data. Two, the interests of the company, app.net, are always aligned with the users and the developers, rather than, as had been the case with so many other companies, with advertisers. Yeah, venture capitalists and advertisers. Uh. To me, these looked like a pretty good deal. I ended up signing up in early 2013, and I've loved it. Stephen can attest that I have raved about it basically Mm -hmm. from the first day I joined. Yeah, indeed. But this week they announced that after the renewal period came up, they didn't have enough money to pay their staff, so they laid everybody off, and there was enough money and funding to keep the service running, you know, pay for the server costs and everything else, but not to keep employing people to develop the service any further. Mm-hmm. There was much sadness. There was. And so I was even a little bit sad for me because I was I was on app.net, but I was not an active user by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> I would occasionally comment on things that Chris would tag me in, but I, you know, had 
in you know mid 2012 and early 2013 a whole lot of social media burnout because i'd been doing so much social media for the blog that i run i just couldn't fathom using another uh, social media service which we'll talk about as we get further on into the episode but the main thing that bums me out about this is because this was supposed to be the alternate hope for the internet people paying for a good service they wanted to see and not trying to piggyback off of advertisements or selling the user or any of that sort of thing. It was supposed to be, hey, we've got a thing, you get to pay for it, you get to like it, we get to like it. It was supposed to be this kind of alternate future of the internet. And at least in this particular experiment, which by no means means that the particular vision is dead, but this particular experiment didn't work. Unfortunately, having a business plan, you know, we talked about this a few weeks ago in our episode following up on editorially closing its doors, another startup that we really liked. We pointed out there that not having a business plan up front can be a problem. But what this highlights is that even having a business plan up front doesn't necessarily solve all of your problems. Yeah. And there were a lot of things that were problems for app.net uh the name doesn't help a lot let's be honest the lack of good marketing didn't help a lot any marketing right uh you just generally didn't hear about it apart from the app.net blog and let's be honest that's not really going to get a lot of people interested in your service who aren't already interested in your service also, the lack of, you know, clear message as to what this is or does. Is this just a Twitter replacement? Is is this kind of an all my social media accounts replacement? What What's the value for me as a customer who already have maybe an account on Instagram and on Facebook and on Twitter and on Pinterest and on Google Plus, though I never check that one. And yeah, not that I dead. have all of those mm. accounts, but I think Steven does. Yeah, um, I have lots of them. It's, uh, but yeah, so that was one of the problems for me was that, you know, all those things that Chris just said, I literally had all of them. I've tested just about every social media that I can think of um, to promote my little blog, Independent Clauses, um, including Pinterest. And, you know, I had a short lived Instagram and just, I've done almost, well, not almost all because that's impossible statement, but I've done <laughs> lots of social medias. And so when app.net came along, and Chris was like, it's a really intelligent, techie sort of place. I was like, womp, womp, another <laughs> thing. And so there was never really a push that showed um, why this mattered to somebody outside of this particular niche. Which is kind of, a, you know, a a weird middle ground now. Because we used to say in business, like, find your niche, hit it hard, you win. Like that used to be the business model. And now, you know, by app.net not being able to break out of that niche, they really were, weren't able to, you know, draw enough support to continue, you know, developing, to continue growing. All of this, you know, we could just go on and on about app.net as app.net. But what we're really aiming for is to see what kinds of bigger picture things we might be able to take away. As usual, we don't want to stick around on right now, as sad as I am right now. I mean, I'm not going anywhere. My account's paid up for most of the next year, and we'll see what things look like in a year. If my community there is still strong and 
the service is still running well, I may re-up again. You mm-hmm. know, I'm I'm willing to continue paying for a service that is valuable to me. Right. I may be a bit disappointed at how things are going in terms of back-end development or the lack thereof. But, you know, the, the basic value proposition for me hasn't ultimately changed a lot. Yeah. But, you know, I'm sad, of course. Mm-hmm. The real question is, is there a way to avoid this? And is there a future of the internet, as you commented a couple of minutes ago, where people do pay for things, where the only way forward isn't merely free with advertising? And a lot of people would say no. I mean, Marco Arment and a couple others have argued publicly in the last few days since this happened and, and previously that you just can't have the kind of explosive growth you need to get the networking effects that you need for something like a social network when you have the upfront cost barrier. And that Mm -hmm. may be true. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I think we have to be careful that we're talking just about social networks here. We're not talking about, you know, things like the information, which is doing just fine Mm -hmm. with a pay what you want model. So we're talking specifically um, at this particular moment about social media networks. We're going to probably get bigger from that in a, in a little bit here. But for a social media network or something that models itself as a social media network like Pinterest or even something, you know, a little bit less socially but still media-y like DeviantArt or Behance or stuff like that, mm-hmm. the utility of it is tied to its network effects. So you don't have a social network if you don't have any social or networking. You have to have social, and then you have to have a platform on which for those people to be social on. So there is some sort of upfront cost, quote-unquote cost, to get people there. It's the chicken or the egg thing. We have content, and then we need users, and then we need content, and then we need users, et cetera, et cetera. So there is definitely a... a barrier threshold that you need to get people in. Um, I think what remains to be seen between us is whether, like some people are arguing, that there's always going to be a barrier that's insurmountable if you put a cost on it, or if there are sets of conditions where a cost could be not inhibitive. Right. Right, and one of the questions about this whole thing is, could the cost have been not prohibitive for people or inhibitive for people, had there been better marketing? You know, could a better communication of what the value of the platform was actually motivate people to drop money on it? And we see that there are other things out there that have the quote-unquote freemium model where there's a free tier, which App.net eventually had, and then a paid tier. Yeah. You know, Dropbox is like this. Lots of things are like this. Mm Mm-hmm. I have only ever used the free tier of Dropbox, but I know quite a few people who pay fairly reasonable sums of money to use the non-free tiers of Dropbox because mm-hmm. it provides real value to them. Yeah. No, I think that there's there's definitely something to be said with app.net specific case that marketing was lack lacking. Um, I mean, with the big security flap that we seemingly every week there's a new security <laughs> hole. Uh, I mean... App.net's strong, strong suit, strong point was that, you know, you could take care of your security yourself. Like you could just delete everything if you really wanted to and it would disappear. Um, there was a, it was a 
user-friendly service in that way. And they, as far as I know, never tried to tap into that network of, hey, you sick of Facebook? You sick of Twitter? You sick of losing your LinkedIn password? Come to app.net, y'all. <laughs> like, there just wasn't that. Um, right. So I they think got an initial push off of sure. Twitter anger a little bit, but they never positioned themselves as a real alternative in the space. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think there's definitely that aspect that, you know, communication could always be a little bit better. But I think the bigger question is, is, and I mean, and these might be tied, you might be able to say that's a false question, but outside of the better communication, is it possible even to have a, you know, what, like, say $5 a month? Is it possible to build a service that has $5 a month worth of value purely because of social benefit? Do you think that's possible? I mean, I know that you bought into that idea and I did not. Right. So, and, and part of that is because you saw, you had a particular set of concerns that were met by app.net, whereas I had a particular set of concerns, a, a more, you know, pedestrian active user of the internet, but not really a maker of the internet set of concerns. Yeah. And I think one of the things that's hard is to pose a different chicken or the egg problem. We know that people are willing to pay money for social, what are really socially oriented experiences in real life. Right. Uh, people people do this all the time to join yep. a club for something they're interested in. Or oh, yeah. To Tons of money. Be in a country club or whatever else. And, you know, people do that across the pay scale. In a lot of ways, for many people, a gym membership or yeah. your CrossFit membership or whatever else. Yep. Yeah, there's a physical benefit there, but I mean, we can all go running or whatever else or put on a video in our own home. For a lot yeah. of people, those Pick are social purchases. Yeah. Uh, and any kind of club membership or what have you is going to have, a, you know, a, a financial cost up front. We, we ha- are engaged with mops, mothers of preschoolers, for my wife's sake around here. And, you know, that's basically paying to have a, a localized social network. That, mops? That's really all that is. Yeah, mops. It's great. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's not the acronym I probably would have chosen, <laughs> but... Yeah, I didn't say that. You did. <laughs> uh, you know, so clearly people are willing to do that. The question seems to be whether people are willing to do that on the internet and we've you know like i said at the beginning of this particular line of thought there's a chicken or egg problem here we've spent the last 20 some odd years now establishing expectations of free especially for social type things email has always essentially been free Mm -hmm. you know bulletin boards were free Mm -hmm. irc has always been free in fact it's hard to name a social interaction on the internet, apart from app.net, that hasn't been free. Uh, well, other than one... externalities, of course. Yeah. Uh, the one other exception I can think of is a few people have started toying with the idea of comments being a paid access to certain websites. And Well, I some... mean, and there's, you know, video games, which are giant social things, and a lot True. of those have, you know, monthly and or yearly fees attached. So True. But, I mean, there's different utility there, obviously. There's, right. You're like, also paying for the game. You're paying for the game as well as the social. Just like at a gym, you're paying for the weights as well as the social. Right. 
And maybe that's part of the thing that's been an issue in terms of these social media. I think even when there is a value add that's beyond the social, it hasn't necessarily been communicated. I mean, if if app.net had sold the fact that you're getting, what was the number, a gig or 10 gig, pretty substantial amount either way. I would have to look at the the numbers again, but a non-trivial amount of storage for Gigness this. of storage. <laughs> right. You're getting uh, access not only to a Twitter-like thing, but all these other utilities. You know, people might have seen that as, okay, I'm getting a value add that's mm-hmm. worth paying for. And, yeah. and again, app.net is just one example. You could say the same thing with Instagram. You could say the same thing with maybe less to a lesser extent twitter and facebook which are almost entirely pure social yeah there's no extra there's i don't see much extra outside of social a lot of what's extra outside of social in twitter and facebook is brought in from those other networks Mm -hmm. but if you could do that that might be a place where you would have a winning strategy of showing people that you're adding value and that's why the comments with you know, being paid for, you might have a chance at making that work of, I want yeah. to subscribe to support this user be- or this writer because I really like her stuff, Yeah, you know, his stuff, what have you, and I want to pay to interact with him and other commenters who right. are that motivated. You're getting a really clear value add there. I'm not sure that's the case with most social media, and therefore yeah. I think most people are much more reticent to actually engage at that level. Yeah, I wonder if the Guardian will have to change their comment is free banner. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I think there's definitely something to be said about value added. I think there's also um, kind of you touched on this briefly a perception that things should be free on the internet, which has gone through various phases of yes and no <laughs> through the life of the internet. You know, from the beginnings of the internet through the dot com boom and bust through. You know, information wants to be free through, you know, now we're kind of all aware of, you know, the kind of glaring externalities of social media, even if we don't know the word externalities, (laughs) um, which are the costs that people bear without thinking about it, um, i.e. like the electricity that it takes to run Bitcoin servers is spread out over everybody who buys electricity. That's an externality. but um yeah i think that there's there's something to be said for the idea that we don't know how people are going to adjust to the idea of free or not free because that's that changes right yeah and one of the things is it it changes you know almost moment by moment on the internet but the general trend on the internet, as you noted, and as I noted earlier, is always back toward free. And no mm-hmm. one no one has successfully figured out, I think it is fair to say, how to engage the general public with a paid service on the internet. Yeah. A you know, very specialized service. markets, yeah. sure, but general public, not so much. Yeah. No, that's true. I think that's that's very true. And that's kind of ironic the last like holdover of the original internet, right? Like with net neutrality being threatened and with, you know, all these other things about the internet being, you know, significantly different than what was originally envisioned. 
Um, it's kind of funny that the last thing that, you know, the internet <laughs> doesn't allow you to do is make money. <laughs> um, obviously, there are people who make, you know, plenty of money off the internet, but on a large social media style scale. Um, I think that's pretty funny. So... The one question we always try to ask is what to take away going forward. And the problem is this week, I'm I'm not sure. I'm not sure anybody has any good answers here yet. Yeah. I mean, I think they're really, we really have to focus on what does this service bring that is better than and outside of what is being offered. Um, and I know that just sounds like, do better, y'all. Do better. <laughs> um, but that's really really what has to happen. I mean, you have to be able to say the reason that we're making this paid is because we can contribute a significantly higher level of service and, um, you know, and, and product for money that we couldn't do if we didn't have this money. Right. And, you know, and so some people say, oh, that's what venture capital is for. And yes, that's why, you know, seeing behind the curtain is always a dangerous thing is because then um, there are no more curtains um, that we can um, keep intact. Um, and there's no way that we can get around some of the, you know, entrenched models of thinking here. But mm -hmm. I think that there really is going to have to be some point where someone comes up with an idea, you know, not un dissimilar to the, you know, the information which is a, a model that is working really well, getting a small number of people to pay money for something they value that is better than contributes value outside of something they're already getting. And I think that when someone figures out what that thing is and how to convince people what to say to really tell people this is valuable, um, I think that's when we'll start to see motion in this sort of category. Up until now, people haven't even tried. They've just tried to put the network before the so or put the the social before the network and say that right. okay, once we got people, then we'll start making money. Right. And if nothing else, the one thing I can say about App.net is, bravo, guys! That was a heck of an experiment, and it was yeah. brave. Yeah. Uh, and we need a lot more of that kind of bravery of saying, what if we did it this way? Yeah. What if we tried this? Yep. Would it work? Would people buy it? Would people go for it? And the reality is there are going to be a lot of failed experiments along the way. Yep. Uh, at this point, you know, I love app.net. I hope it's still around in a year and I'm still using it in a year. But in terms of the overall strategy, yeah, it, it's a failed experiment. But hopefully it'll be a failed experiment that is one of many along the way that is a stepping stone to the first time somebody does get it right. Exactly. Exactly. And in the meantime, we'll keep trying, and we'll keep trying, and we'll keep trying. Mm-hmm. And we'll keep talking about it here on Winning Slowly. So thanks for listening to our latest episode. Uh, the opening song is Mountain Song by Little Chief. All of our content, meaning not that song, but everything we said since then, is licensed under a Creative Commons attribute license, which means, well... In perhaps an ironic twist, given the topic today, it's all free. Yeah. You yeah. can do with it whatever you want. Uh, just say you got it from us. Mm -hmm. If you're curious, you can find us on various social media locations. I am Chris Krycho, C-H-R-I-S-K-R-Y-C-H-O, on Twitter, app.net, Google+, not that I ever post on Google+. Because no one they, does. Right, and Google's killing it anyway, but that's a topic for another week. 
and mostly app.net. Yeah. I'm at Scaradini on Twitter and there's bunches of other at Scaradini and at Indie Clauses scattered around the internet, but mostly Twitter. You can, of course, find the podcast at Winning Slowly on Facebook, Twitter, and app.net. Not going anywhere. Hmm. Until next time, I have been Chris Kreitcho. And I am and will be Stephen Caradini. Thanks for listening. <laughs>